0: In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Again, that is James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated.
1: Once again, good good morning. Last week, we discussed... James chapter four. Today we shall be preaching on James chapter one. I know you have your outlines, you may follow there. However, I might deviate from the outline every now and then. But still, um, that would be the essence of our discussion. Did you know that James believed his brother to be crazy? The word is maniac or schizophrenic that is found in Mark 3, 21. His own family thought Jesus was crazy. But that would change. Who could blame James, you know? His whole family did not believe Jesus. It's hard to believe that your elder brother is the Messiah he might be, he could have thought, well, didn't we grow up together? And I do not know the parenting style of Joseph and Mary, but we know commonly, and we advise parents to minimize or avoid comparing your children. Since Scripture stated that Jesus was sinless, Can you imagine that Jesus being the good boy at home, and then probably, this is probably parents telling James, James, why can't you be like your brother? Look at your brother, huh? He's such a good example. And look at you. That's not in the Bible. I'm just saying probably this could have happened. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps when when Jesus was growing up and learning a lot of the Scriptures. James, how are you in reading Proverbs? Are you catching up? Have you memorized as many as Jesus has memorized? Perhaps, but I cannot prove it. But all I know is that his brothers did not believe, James did not believe, and he thought Christ was crazy. How could he have imagined the Messiah was the elder brother? But James would witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He would see the resurrected Son of God. If you need references, you can take down Mark 3:21, John seven verse five, and then the resurrection would be 1 Corinthians 15:7. Jesus appeared to James. And in the upper room, in Acts chapter 1, it says there that within the 120, James and his brothers with Mary were there praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the resurrection was the reason for the change, or probably something happened before that. The point is, James would eventually believe the crazy brother. I'm just imagining, how, would, how, how did James repent when he realized Jesus as the Messiah, and Scripture did record it, that they thought he was crazy, and then you realize, you're thinking your elder brother to be crazy, and then you, you, he resurrected from the dead, and you're shocked, he is the Messiah. I wonder how he repented of his perspective and sin. Perhaps he felt so much shame. James, the writer of the book of James, and we discussed last week, it is commonly known, the name James translated in Greek is really Yaakov. In Hebrew, Yaakov, I mean, which is more close to Jacob somehow through time translated to English, it became James, and then translated to Filipino, it's called Santiago. Can you imagine me, for the first time, opening a Tagalog Bible, looking for the book of James? I could not find it, because it's translated Santiago. Why Santiago? It's so far, right? Santiago, it should be Jaime. Uh, Well, that's just my opinion. Well, when James wrote the letter that bears his name, he identified himself as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we put up verse 1, please? James 1, verse 1, which says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of saying James, brother of Jesus, or even half-brother of Jesus, he did not use that. He just said bondservant. And you know a bondservant is more than a servant. A bondservant is one who has committed to a household for life. It's like a slave, but done out of love. He is a bond servant, bonded for life. A bondservant of Christ. But James made no mention of his unique relationship or special relationship with Christ. And he made no mention of his leadership status. By the way, James could be the most influential person in the New Testament church. In the Jerusalem church, I mean. When Peter got out of prison, miraculously, he said, report to James. When Paul visited Jerusalem, he reported to James. He looked for James. In Acts 15, when there was a debate in the Jerusalem council concerning the Gentiles, James presided, and you could see his speech there made an influence, an impact. When Jude wrote his letter, he said, brother of James. He did not explain James who because there were many James in the circle of Jesus Christ. James was a common name or Yaakov was a common name. He just said brother of James. Everybody knew who James was because he was the prominent figure or a prominent figure in the early church. Now, why did he not mention himself as brother of Christ or half-brother of Christ? We can only say that he was still humbled, or he is practicing what he is preaching to be humble before God and his Lord. He now calls his brother Lord and Savior. The word Christ means Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. I also feel the same way. I cannot just write the name Jesus. I have to put some respect there. I have to put Lord, Lord Jesus, or Lord Jesus Christ to be complete. That is his title and and description. He is Christ, Jesus is Christ, and Lord. Some people, when they were young, they thought Christ was the last name, right? Jesus Christ, Jesus the first name, Christ is the last name, no. Christ means Savior, Christ means Messiah. Every pastor and bishop should learn from his example. Every spiritual leader should learn from the example of James in the sense that he knew his place. This was his brother, he grew up together, but he knew his place, the place of a humble servant Serving his master, Lord, and of course, brother. He is his brother, not only spiritually, but by growing up together, they were brothers in a strong sense. But he identified himself as a bond servant of Christ. May we all first identify ourselves as bond servants of Christ. Not looking for titles, not looking for positions of influence, but first and foremost, we are bondservants of Christ. James composed a letter, this letter, to inspire and instruct the scattered Jewish believers whom he called the Twelve Tribes. Many believe that they were scattered due to the persecution in Acts chapter 8 when Paul or Saul persecuted the church, and they were scattered. And in those days, it was not hard for a Jew to be scattered in one sense because there were the synagogues. However, because they were Christians, believers, persecution came from the synagogues as well, from their fellow Jews, because they believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is their Lord. So he tried to inspire and instruct the scattered Jewish believers who are suffering from persecution. And then when you say persecution, it's also prejudice. Prejudice is uh, you're thought of as a second class. They look down on you. But not just prejudiced in, in your belief, but you're also persecuted in economic opportunities. Meaning if you're selling something, if you're a merchant, people would rather buy from somebody else than you. Most of these scattered believers were experiencing poverty. Perhaps because they were scattered from their hometown, from where they lived, they have to start anew. So the problems that these scattered believers were facing was not only the problem of being dragged into prison or being beaten by the Judaizers, but also economic bias. So James wrote to encourage them to endure. Please think of that word, endure. To endure. Endure what? Endure what they're going through. Now, some of the Jewish believers were also exhibiting troubling behavior. They were behaving poorly, perhaps because some of these believers were not truly grounded yet. They're still in the early stage of learning about Christ and how to live the Christian life. They have probably not matured yet, and then persecution happened. Therefore, James had to write to correct these bad behavior. Many consider the epistle of James to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. In fact, you will find a lot of parallels in the book of Proverbs and the book of James. And of course, the book of Proverbs has a parallel in the Torah the first five books in the laws of Moses. Although written differently, uh, the law of Moses has consequences by law, but Proverbs is living it. Now James, the style of James, was jumping from one topic to another, giving strong one-liners, but still, you can tie the whole thing up. Furthermore, the letter exhibits elements of the Sermon on the Mount and the other teachings of Jesus Christ. So you could see that James has a parallel with the book of Proverbs, but also with the Sermon on the Mount and the other teachings of Jesus Christ. Let us read verses two to four, James chapter one, verses two to four. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, nothing. This is a difficult instruction to apply. I say this because I am a human being and you are a human being. That when you encounter trials, especially persecution, and poverty because of economic bias, and all the other trials that come with the Christian life, because you're a believer, you encounter certain problems. Of course, the unbeliever's problem is different, so this does not apply to you if you're not a true believer of Christ. But if you are a true believer, the instruction is, count it joy. It doesn't mean you jump for joy when you encounter persecution. It doesn't mean you jump for joy after you have been cheated from a business deal. It didn't say that. It says, consider it meaning it's something you do with your mind, consider it, think this way instead of this way. Think this way, God has a purpose for it. Think this way, you are blessed because you are suffering persecution. And one parallel of this is found in the Sermon of the Mount, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Consider it joy, my brethren. When you encounter what? Various trials. When you encounter many trials or different kinds, consider it a joy. Ah, can we do that? Whenever you encounter trials in your life, you take a step back and before feeling bad, you say, let me count this joy. Whoever drowns in trials has two choices. As a believer, you can sink into depression. Yes, it's possible to sink into depression. You sit in one corner and just feel bad about the situation. Or you do stupid things, I'm sorry for that word, foolish things because you are depressed and sad. Or you can choose the path to survive and avoid destructive behavior. And what was happening among the scattered Jews, if you would read carefully the book of James, some of them were exhibiting destructive behavior, learning to, they were getting angry at one another, they were becoming jealous, perhaps, because of the poverty and opportunities they're missing. And envy and jealousy and pride and anger and hatred are all destructive behaviors or you can survive, you can endure. Some who fall into depression might retort, you don't understand what I'm going through. How can I count it joy? Yes, brother or sister, it is true. No one would truly and fully understand what you're going through because each human being is unique. But one thing I know, you don't have the worst of it yet. Some are suffering in war-torn areas who cannot eat, who are suffering physically, I mean getting shot at, losing their loved ones, dying in front of them because of their faith. We have not reached that point, so may I encourage you, your case is not that special yet. But we go through depressing times, and we all will go through it. I guarantee you, if you are a true believer, one thing that Scripture guarantees is not prosperity. According to the prosperity preachers, one thing guaranteed is prosperity. That is wrong. One thing guaranteed is what? Trials and suffering. A believer who has suffered and endured matures spiritually. One who has not encountered suffering or trials They are not yet strong, they are not yet proven, they will fail, thus, we should welcome. The mental and emotional anguish may prove genuine, yes. And if you encounter depression, sometimes it is nearly impossible to possess a healthy perspective. That is true. one who has encountered it, deep depression, it is hard to have a healthy perspective. You just feel the pain, and you just feel confused with the thoughts. Nevertheless, Scripture remains true in whatever situation. Scripture remains true. Thus, one should train the mind to count it all joy. It's still true. James chapter 1, verse 2, is still true whether you are depressed or not, whether you are going through the worst of times or the best of times. It is still true that we must count it joy. In our minds, we have to think of trials as God's instruments. And you will have a different attitude. One time, well, whenever I see somebody encounter Difficult trials. You hear this when you have sharing in the growth group. And then you see their demeanor. You see their prayer. You see that they're always hopeful and still would accept the consequence, whatever God gives them. Then I I am witnessing a believer that is strong and mature. Now, if you desire to rise above the trials and survive, and I hope you do, We must all survive. Do not roll over and die. We must survive. Scripture advocates the right perspective. What is the right perspective? In the verse, count it all joy. Consider it a joy. Another way of saying it is adjust your thinking. The different kinds of trial tests one's faith. Remember, the testing, it says there, the testing of your faith. So what is really being tested is your faith. It's not your morality. The morality is important, it is a fruit of the Christian life. It is the fruit that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It is the fruit that the Word of God is in our hearts. But what is really being tested always and often is how much you believe the Word of God, the specific Word of God concerning your situation. Will you panic and worry when you don't have any more money? Or will you trust what Jesus said that, do not worry, seek the kingdom first, and all these things shall be added. What will you believe? The different kinds of trials. Take note, various, okay? It's not just one, (laughs) it's various, all right? So as you grow older in Christ, as you mature spiritually, if you look back and try to list down the kinds of trials you've faced, you'll realize that you have various. You went through different kinds. It's like having different kinds of opponents. It's like you're a fighter who fought the different kinds of styles and opponents. The same way we will encounter various trials, but it says you're counted all joy. Well, if we counted joy, It means we have a mature perspective and we understand the purpose of it. The purpose is what? The testing of the faith produces endurance. The other word for it is patience. Patient endurance, it's a good combination. What does that mean? Endurance is something you can last, you can endure. My friend invited me to go to Manila once because we were together in the martial arts class when we were younger. And he, I am so uncomfortable whenever he calls me jokingly sensei. I said, no, you are the sensei. You have advanced beyond all of us. So he has now learned the different arts and his favorite was the knife arts. And he was inviting me, come here, pass by whenever you come to Manila and let's practice. I said, I am out of shape. you know what that means, I am out of shape? It means I cannot endure it means I won't last 10 minutes. Try it, after not exercising for a month, try to run. You feel like your lungs would explode, right? (laughs) But if you start walking again, you build endurance. Then you start jogging slowly, and then extending the number of time, increasing the intensity and the amount of time. Suddenly, you can last an hour. That is endurance, we can last without breaking down, we can last, we can endure. So faith would be like a muscle or probably also like your lungs. It develops if it is tested. But if it is not tested, if you're always safe, you will not grow. Something I learned in parenting, allow your children to solve some of their problems on their own. Take a step back, observe, and just be the coach. Don't get into the ring with them. Take a step back and allow them to fight some of their battles. But tell them, I'm here when you need me and if you need me. Why? They will grow stronger. But if you will fight every battle, if you will fight every bully, they would never stand up for themselves. Don't fight the bully. Teach him boxing so we can face the bully. No, but teach him him to love peace first before fighting. Teach him to avoid a fight. But again, we are encountering various trials because the Lord wants us to endure, to be strong, to be in spiritual shape. Now, faith gets stronger when tested, provided the right perspective exists, to count it all joy. As the believer develops endurance, it will lead the believer to completeness. The term used by James is perfection. It is not sinless perfection. The word telios means a full-grown man. Telios, the word perfect. Can we go back to uh, verse four? And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect fully mature, no longer a kid, no longer a baby. You have developed and complete. You've developed all the skills, lacking in nothing. What is that? If you know how to endure, you are mature. But whenever a trial comes, you break down in every trial. And you don't know what to do, rather than first counting it joy, learning to endure, knowing that it will pass knowing that the testing will pass. The important thing is not immediately the solution, my friends, no, 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 no. The important thing is first the attitude. Your trust in the Lord that you can count it joy. That is first and foremost. Don't run for the solution immediately. First, it is coming to God and say, Lord, I submit to you my emotions. I submit to you my mind. We trust that the Lord will give us the solution. But most of the time, first, before the solution, he wants us to endure. You understand? He does not give the solution immediately. Some of us will have to endure some things for a lifetime. Uh, Paul mentioned a thorn in the flesh that he prayed that God would take away. Some said it could have been a sickness or some irritation from somebody. There are different perspectives on it, but he said God would not take it away. There are some things that God puts in our lives so that we continuously depend on Him. So we always turn to Him. Again, it is not sinless perfection, although we strive for sinless perfection, but we know we will not reach it because we are depraved human beings saved by grace. Again, it is maturity no longer a child, and it is our prayer for every one of us that we would learn to mature, to be perfect, meaning telios, a full-grown person, not lacking in anything. It's like when a child, you're confident as a parent that your child can now live on his own. Why? You have a sense that he's complete. Some of you believe that after he finishes college and finds a job, you feel that he's complete and you are at peace. If he wants to live alone, some of you feel that because you have provided something. The Lord allows believers to go through the crucible to test their faith. A believer who successfully endures various trials is the one who spiritually matures. God strengthens their faith. Conversely, Someone who has not successfully endured trials is the immature one. Take note. When the trials come and you do not successfully endure, you do not count it all joy, you did not respond in wisdom to the trial, you're the one who is still immature. It doesn't mean you have trials, you'll mature. No, it's your right handling of the trial. That's why we need wisdom. Not everybody who experiences trials becomes stronger. Some break down. They become bitter at life. They hate life. They hate everybody. They become disillusioned. They find something wrong in everything. I pray that that would not happen to us. The key is to trust the Lord and count it all joy. Therefore, when trials torture the emotions, Have you experienced that, when the trials torture your emotions? You have? You haven't? Ah, one day you will, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Our God is an amazing God. He wants to share, you know. In Christ, we are made co-heirs in Christ. We are made to share in what He has. Salvation is free, but the rewards are not. Please take note, that is a clear biblical doctrine. By grace is freely given to those who have faith in Him, but the reward is according to our deeds. You are a believer. When trials torture the emotions, one must trust God's purpose for the trials. Purpose, He has a purpose. God's purpose for the fiery trials is to fortify the faith of his people so they may endure. Again, God's purpose for the fiery trials is to fortify, imagine a fortress, fortify the faith of his people so they may endure. The thought of God training us, training us through trials and testing should comfort us. Let me say that again. Knowing that God is training us through the trials should comfort us instead of discouraging us. He's training us. Try this first at this level. Then He gives you something else. Then He gives you something else. Until there will come a time your personal problems are no longer the issues for you. You want now to solve the problems of the kingdom of God and His creation. But if one never learns to count it all joy, nor learns to see it through the eyes of Scripture, if you don't see the trials as a beauty, you will waste your sorrows beyond days. If you don't see the beauty of the trial, if that does not give you comfort that God is at work in your life, you will waste your tears beyond days. I'd like to jump to verse 12, James 1 verse 12. We did not read it, but it's in the scriptures. It's within the context. Because verse two suddenly, uh, again, James' style of writing is like proverbial, very rabbinic in style, it jumps, but it is still within context. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. The word blessed isn't necessarily the word happy, but it's more of congratulations to the man, to the one who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What is the reward? The crown of life. So scripture congratulates the ones who persevere. James called them blessed because the Lord rewards those who persevere, but for these are also those who love him. Therefore, friends, we must endure. Can we go back to verse five? To endure we need wisdom, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is very important, friends. Verse five is very important because we cannot endure on our own. We need what? The wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom that comes from God. Now, if when James said, whoever lacks wisdom, it's like a rhetorical question. And I mean rhetorical question. It's a question that is actually a statement. It has an obvious answer. So if I ask people, do you need wisdom? (laughs) Of course. So it's a rhetorical question. Well, the Jew would see it as a rhetorical question Some see it, I just need wisdom when I have problems. That is a non-Jewish way of thinking. Why? Everybody needs wisdom. You know, you would recall in the book of Proverbs that it implies that it is unwise to think of yourself as wise. It is not wise if you think you are wise. In fact, there is more hope for a fool if you think you are wise. So if James was saying, if anyone lacks wisdom, he's really saying, everybody, listen. Let's read that, Proverbs 26, verse 12. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Uh, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If you're looking for somebody worse than a fool, it's the man or woman who think that they are wise. We should never think we are wise. We only trust in the wisdom of Scripture. I am not wise. I only look to the wisdom of God in Scripture and how He guides me. If you think you do not need the wisdom of God, then I know who you are. You're a fool's fool. You see, this is the double fool. Okay, there's a fool and there's a double fool. Here, there's more hope for a fool. Therefore, James referred to every believer when he stated, if any one of you lacks wisdom, every believer should ask God for wisdom. Why? Because everyone needs wisdom to endure. We cannot endure without wisdom. And because every believer could trust in the nature and character of God, then we can ask God for wisdom. You see, the pagan gods are fickle-minded. The pagan gods. You know, Zeus or Jupiter Aphrodite, uh, Aries, these are the pagan gods, they are fickle minded, if you read Greek mythology, they're like humans who keep changing their minds. But God is different, he is unchanging. When it comes to wisdom for his people, God is generous and gives without reproach. One can expect that God will be consistent in his generosity with wisdom. Let's read verses six to eight, please. Let's go back to verse five, so we read it in context. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The word all there is not literally all universal, but all meaning all that he was writing to, the scattered believers the Jewish scattered believers, which may also be applied to the Gentile believers. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And who is God? He is God who is generous when it comes to wisdom. Friends, this is it. If any prayer that is sure to be given, it is this one. The request for wisdom, the prayer for wisdom. A person does not lean on his own understanding. He humbles himself before God and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. This is guaranteed by God and by Scripture. But there is a condition. Verse 6, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like one surf, or like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. A surf is like a wave, the top side of the wave. It's just blown everywhere. The sea is changeable. That's why it's says the sea is changeable, depending where the wind blows, it follows. The condition is one must ask in faith, I and mean, what does that mean? No doubt, do not doubt. Some people pray, Lord, give me wisdom to solve this problem, and suddenly they think, oh, how can I solve this problem? It's the end for us, where we won't be able to pay. They're getting worried, that is being double-minded. Verse seven. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you ask God for wisdom, then you trust who he is, that he will give wisdom because he is generous with it. But if you think twice, if you fear, you worry, you become double-minded, you don't know what to believe, you don't know how to focus in trusting in God, then you are this person, you will not receive anything. If you pray and you keep worrying, there's a difference between being concerned and being worried. There is a difference. Being concerned and solve your problem because you're concerned, that is good. But if you worry, it does not help. It does not help your mind. It does not help your emotion. It does not help the situation. And what? You doubt. And God is not like the double-minded person. Or He doesn't like double-mindedness. Because you are unstable. So we must ask in faith. Faith means trust and belief. When applied to God, faith must be grounded and unshakable. Because there is no reason to doubt God. He is not like men who change their minds. He is different. Now, James explained that the one who doubts will receive nothing. Please do not forget that. Ask for wisdom and do not doubt. But then James also explained this wisdom so that we are guided if we know this wisdom came. So let's go to James chapter 3. I will read verses 13 to 17. James 3, 13 to 17. So, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom, meaning... If you think God has given you wisdom or you are wise, you do not use your wisdom to hit others. You do not use your wisdom to destroy others, but you use your wisdom in gentleness because you want, my interpretation, my application is to want to build others as well. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, this is the opposite, carefully. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant, and so lie against the truth." 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. I wanted you to say it together, but don't. Don't. Demonic. So whenever spouses fight against each other with selfish jealousy and ambition, you say, oh, that's demonic, huh? (laughs) You're doing demonic activity. No, don't do that. You'll make it worse. Uh, This wisdom is not from above. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing, even in church. It should not be allowed. Selfish ambition should not be allowed in church. Envy and jealousy should not be allowed here. In the family, it should not be allowed as well. We must be building one another up, not making one another envious, or not envying one another, not promoting ourselves above the others, but rather, what? We have the wisdom that is gentle in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is pure. Okay, don't forget the word pure. It is first pure. It is godly. It is pure in Christ, in God. Then peaceable. Some put peace first. No. Jesus said the word of God will divide. We only unite under pure the purity of the word. If there is division because we are defending the word, let there be division. But he is talking to the believers who should be united, peace among believers, gentle, reasonable, full of good mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and I like that, without hypocrisy, we can be honest with who we are, we don't have to lie to one another, you don't have to pretend to be more successful, because that is not pleasing to God, you'd rather admit to be the lowliest of all, willing to learn, willing to understand. Let me close. Near the end of his letter, James mentioned Job. You know Job? The book of Job? It's a very long book. My, it's one of the books in the Old Testament that I really had to force myself to finish because the the dialogues were so long. It's so long that I I can't catch up with understanding each word or each thought. But he mentioned Job, but the story of Job was he was tested by God. The devil wanted to test him. God agreed, he was tested, and he lost everything. He lost everything. He lost his health, his family, his wealth, even his friends. But he endured, and God blessed him in the end. Job suffered and lost everything, but the Lord blessed him. You see, God's spiritual blessings are assured in Christ. So we have to endure because definitely one day, God will give us the ultimate price of being with him forever and to enjoy his presence forever, saved from the damnation of the lake of fire. That is God's blessing to us, to be with him Although sometimes, sometimes, if it is God's will, we endure on earth and he allows us to experience temporal blessings. Though I must be careful to say, but that is not really the main essence of the text. I'm just saying he mentioned Job, who received earthly blessings in the end. However, the full context of James is really the spiritual blessings in Christ. But in whatever way God rewards endurance, whether it's spiritual or temporal. It is up to him, not man. Well, we hope he will reward us with both temporal blessings and spiritual blessings. That is our hope. But again, it is not up to us. It is up to him. Scripture considers the one who perseveres under trial as blessed. Let's read James 5:11 before I forget. We count these blessed who endure. Blessed who endure. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And I've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James wanted the scattered believers to practice their faith in the face of persecution, prejudice, and poverty. The bondservant of Christ, James. Do you know that James was also known as the bulwark of the faith? He was a key leader in the Jerusalem church prominent figure then but again very humbly identifying himself as a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ what did he desire his desire is for god's people to endure the trials and the suffering to endure successfully and his desires the desire of james reflects a true shepherd and servant of christ If you are a true servant of Christ, your desire is the same for you, for your family, and for our body, the body of Christ, that we all endure. Yes, God's wisdom. God's wisdom will enable all of us believers to endure. But we must pray correctly. You have to go back to the first chapter of James, which is what? You ask God for wisdom without doubt, but even before that, you count it all joy when you encounter various trials. No doubt, brothers. Why? We cannot doubt God. So I end with this. O Lord, give us the heavenly scope to see trials and tests as your instruments to mold. Persecution, prejudice, and poverty. Your purpose they serve. Grant us the wisdom to count each trial a joy and the wisdom to endure it all. Our faith is firm and founded on the generous one who showers wisdom. Incomparable to fickle gods made by men and men unmade by gods. Only a fool's fool would think twice and not believe the one true God and Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your beautiful message. Thank you, Lord, for using your servant and your brother James to deliver this message that we should count it all joy. We have various trials nowadays. Many of us are suffering, but you, Lord, by your grace, only by your grace, we can count it a joy we consider it a joy. The pain, we consider it a joy because of your purpose, because we know you are training us. It is not to destroy our souls, but to build us, to put us in spiritual shape, to allow us to endure, because you want to give us the crown of life. You want us to persevere until the end. Therefore, O oh Lord, we ask for wisdom from above. We do not ask for earthly wisdom, but your wisdom. In the face of these troubles and problems, you will give us the mind to endure. Lord, we pray, help solve our problems. We ask for wisdom. But we know that you will give it in your time, in your way. But one thing for sure is, you will give us the wisdom to endure. Teach us not to doubt your character, not to doubt your attribute, not to think twice, not to dilly-dally, but to be firm in our conviction. At every trial and every problem, you are in control, you are Sovereign, and your grace abounds forever. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us all rise. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you. May the wisdom of God flow in your mind and in your heart to endure, to count it a joy. I pray that your minds will be renewed in every trial. You will become stronger. And may the thought of trials never discourage you, but encourage you, for it is an opportunity to be stronger in the faith. May the Lord bless you with peace and protection. May the Lord bless every member and all those connected to us, and every believer, and every Filipino, we pray blessing of peace and protection from all diseases. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Good day.